Welcome to Songs and Stories, the not-for-musicians-only music podcast. Well, okay. Welcome once again to Songs and Stories. My name is Michael Gaither, and this is podcast number 11. I'm really excited about this particular episode because if you've been following the Songs and Stories podcast, either up in iTunes or on my website, michaelgaither.com, you'll know that I've been using this forum to pick apart my own songs and explain the stories behind some of the songs, interview other songwriters, and occasionally do some behind-the-scenes audio tours of music-related events. This week, though, I had a chance to talk with composer, fiddle player, violinist Mark O'Connor. Now, if you're familiar with Mark O'Connor's work, you'll know what a big deal this was to be able to sit and talk with him. If you're not familiar with his work, I think you're in for a pretty educational half-hour overview of American music, where it came from, where it's going, and how O'Connor has been a big influence in that, and how he's actually taking what people taught him, what he's developed, and he's bringing it on to the next generation of musicians. Um, I want to keep my talking short because O'Connor talked for a while. I want to get all into this podcast. But basically, um, as, a, as a youth, he was influenced by Texas fiddler Benny Thomason, the French jazz violinist Stephen Grappelli, who he later actually studied with and became close friends with. He was a Nashville session player for many years, playing with people like the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band, Steve Earle and Lyle Lovett. Uh, in the 80s, in the late 80s, he worked with people like Bela Fleck and Jerry Douglas, which was ended up in the classic CD called Strength in Numbers, which I've almost worn out, even though you're not supposed to be able to wear out a CD. Mine's close. Um, later on, he worked with Edgar Meyer and Yo-Yo Ma and documented this in the Appalachian Journey recordings. And those were a combination of sort of American fiddle tunes, chamber music, and jazz. And this month, August, you're going to get a chance, if you can travel, to see pretty much every side of Mark O'Connor. He's in Santa Cruz this week for the, the debut of his first complete original symphony titled Symphony No. 1. They've been in rehearsal all week, and it actually debuted last night on Friday. And about a week and a half on August 13th, he'll be at the Aspen Music Festival in Colorado with his Appalachian Chamber Music Trio. And then at the end of the month, he'll be closing the Strawberry Music Festival in Yosemite, California. Um, and that's going to be kind of a really special night. What I found talking to Mark is he's really, really big on education and teaching and taking what he's learned and bringing it to the next generation of players. He's been doing um, fiddle camps all summer. And what he's doing at Strawberry is taking basically what he says that is the best of that of those camps and bringing it on stage. So it's going to be an entertaining and learning experience at Strawberry. I want to remind you before we get to the interview that um, on my website, michaelgather.com, that's M-I-C-H-A-E-L-G-A-I-T-H-E-R, there are links to go with this podcast. Look for podcast notes for show number 11, the Mark O'Connor interview, and you'll find links to the music festivals we're talking about, um, his fiddle camps, as well as some of the CDs I'll mention during the interview. I also wanted to mention that the tune you're hearing behind me now is called Song of the Liberty Bell. You'll find that on the Heartland Appalachian Anthology CD, and you'll find a link to that on my website as well. 
So let's listen to a little bit more of Mark O'Connor, and then we'll go to the interview at the Santa Cruz Civic backstage Thursday, August 2nd, 2007. You've been out here since Monday, rehearsing your symphony number one. Sunday uh, was our first rehearsal, Mm -hmm. and so it's been a week of rehearsals. Mm -hmm. We have got one more, a fourth rehearsal, tomorrow, um, the day before the premiere. Mm -hmm. And um, it's a big week, because this is uh, uh, my first symphony. I've composed a lot for orchestra, but they've all been concertos, where I'm the soloist, Mm -hmm. or potentially another violinist or fiddler as the soloist. So this is standalone orchestral piece, and and it's all yours. And I'm out in the audience, you know, trying to look at my score and biting my nails mm-hmm. and, and hoping for the best. But it's really coming um, along fantastically. I'm I'm actually really excited, and uh, um, I I spent probably more effort on this symphony number no. one in the composing process than any other piece I've ever done. Wow. Um, it's just a massive undertaking with that many instruments. It's full, full orchestra, winds and threes, full brass section, um, and a huge percussion section. I saw that during the rehearsal. Yeah. That's pretty impressive. <laughs> so i got to ask, I guess any, whether it's a written work or a musical work, you, you come at it at different times, but how long have you been working on this, particular, on this symphony? It took me 10 months to compose this, mm-hmm. and so I spent the better part of this last year. I just finished in June, mm-hmm. and um, there was a, definitely a period of elation for a couple of weeks that I finally made it and, and finished. And um, I knew I had this deadline with Marin Alsop in the Cabrillo Festival mm-hmm. uh, for its world premiere, and so I needed to get it done. And Deadlines help sometimes. It does. It, it, it caused me to put in some 15-hour days, so, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, I became like a creature of the <laughs> symphony. And I didn't even know if I had another life or not beyond it for a while. And so it's it's nice to recover from mm-hmm. the process, hit the summer season of festivals, and, and get back to playing some. Yeah. And uh, with this symphony kind of under my you know under my belt behind me. So we can hear you play again. <laughs> yeah, and I I've enjoyed it. Actually, I've I have a renewed. Um, enthusiasm for playing again after composing this. Um, Is it because you couldn't for so long, or because you just wanted to get back into it? And yeah, psychologically, I felt like wow, there. You know, I've, I've um, expanded my horizons in my mind, and and now I'm approaching some of my older pieces mm-hmm. in performance. Um, especially, I, I'm digging out my old caprices and things like that. Some of my, my solo repertoire. Mm-hmm. So funny, like I'll I'll spend you know a whole year long composing for 90 musicians, and then I can't wait to just do something solo, you know. Exactly. Um, and uh, I find interesting correlations with all that. I, I like I like the juxtaposition. It's probably good doing both sides of it and doing different things. It keeps it all fresh, I would imagine. It does for me, you know. I mean, I you know I, I learned. Early on as a kid, that boredom was going to be my, my biggest enemy. Mm-hmm. And whatever I was doing, whatever I was uh, performing or who I was performing with, I needed to make sure that I was, you know, enthused, mm-hmm. stayed enthused about it. Yeah. Now, this this particular symphony, is it, would you describe it as 
contemporary, classical, or does it mix in some of your other influences? Well, I wanted this to be really uh, the this, this symphony version of my concertos, okay. um, which are this sort of um, um, cross between a folk vernacular mm-hmm. influence and the classical Americana setting. Um, I really wanted to uh, explore more um, about the kinds of orchestration that I that I developed in these concertos mm-hmm. along the way, and really put it front and center in the piece, rather than you know mainly behind the soloist, behind mm-hmm. me playing, for instance. I wanted it to be the feature, and so that was the emphasis for this symphony: is to to bring along some of these orchestral ideas, especially the stylistic approach. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I feel like the American um, symphonic setting for me that you know Copland began mm-hmm. um, is something that really is uh, is ever most on my mind. I think that really resonates with me. It it it, it, um, it reaches out towards my own personal music history and the things that I just normally write, the melodies and and the kinds of harmony mm-hmm. I like. Um, really go well with this American classical theme. So I wanted to have a symphony that represented that. Nice, nice. And I come from more of a kind of a folk bluegrass background these days. Define the Americana vernacular. How would you describe that? Well, I think that um, there's several components to it. The melting pot culture has a lot to do with it. That the Celtic Appalachian kind of of hybrid. And And the African Americans. Yeah, exactly. Um, And the um, and the culture from the South, mm-hmm. um, especially. Um, the fiddling music that's been here in a traditional form uh, for several hundred years now, um, or at least you know, 250, 300 years, mm-hmm. perhaps more. I mean, there's, there's some documentations now that are coming out of Appalachian research that, that put um, you know, people coming across in the 1500s and um, bringing their music with them. So I feel like uh, right now I think America possibly has a 500-year-old music culture. It's quite possible. And um, so I, I want to really tap in on that and draw from it. I've been doing that with my own playing, and I, I continue to do it with my, my um, composing work. Um, one of the things that uh, I think is a hallmark of, of Americana, American music, is a sense of journey and a, uh, a sense of um, longing for the wide open spaces mm-hmm. of the West, the constant westward migration that this country has been in for you know hundreds of years. And as part of that, you think because a lot of those tunes migrated from the old country and from and came here and become, became their own versions of like, but, like like standard fiddle tunes came from somewhere else, came here and then kept going and kept um, developing. Yeah, I mean. Uh, the, the interesting thing about fiddle tunes, say, in Ireland, for hundreds and hundreds of years, they didn't change mm-hmm. at all. They were very provincial. When the music came to America, it changed with every hollow that it yeah. went through yeah. and every county and every state. Almost like dialects. Exactly. And I think the, the journey to find a new place is the American experience. And that's what I think American music is all about. You look at the, the melody structure. The, the the lyric mm-hmm. lyric content of all the songs about um, remembering home and, mm-hmm. and finding a, a better place um, uh, over the next hill yeah. and so that kind of reflection is really important for me a sense of journey uh, wide open spaces and the melting pot culture 
with um, all the different influences from, you know, Cajun music to mm-hmm. jazz to blues. I mean, you know, I think that's part of the American um, music culture as well, is knowing the traditions mm-hmm. and develop, developing that right. in your own way. Which you've done with the Americana music and bringing it to classical and kind of combining it in a way, too. And I was doing it also with the, the new grass scene yeah. as well and and uh, the new acoustic music mm-hmm. thing and... and um, to even to a large degree within the fiddling circles, um, you know, taking the, the tunes that I learned from Benny Thomas and, and um, Byron Berline and mm-hmm. Kenny Baker and so forth, and um, you know, moving them into a place where my own generation could even better relate mm-hmm. to the music. And, and um, you know, when I first started playing uh, fiddle music as a kid, I was almost the only kid that was doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, now there's kids everywhere doing it. Sure. You go to these festivals and and um, there's kids playing all over the place. You go back to 19 uh, early 70s when I was a kid at these festivals. I was the only kid, you know. <laughs> yeah. um, there's very very few uh, young people playing. Ricky Skaggs was an exception. He he was mm-hmm. a young talented uh, prodigy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Marty Stewart was very young. Um, and in the fiddle circles, Texas Shorty was like a boy prodigy. Um, but there's very few examples, you know, in, in that world. Now there's all kinds of examples. And I think that, you know, uh, reinventing, you know, what the, the patriarchs of mm-hmm. the music um, is, that's what it's all about. That's what this festival here at Cabrillo is about, is the new generation of composers. And um, I applaud Marin Alsip and the Cabrillo folks here in Santa Cruz for... Uh, having a forum for this because it's you know, it's extraordinary to bring this kind of these kinds of uh, folks together and have their music appear on one program. Mm-hmm. Um, it puts a lot of um, uh, attention to what is really you know happening and what we all feel like is pretty important, but it gets often overlooked sometimes. It's a good town. <laughs> pretty lucky here. Now jumping ahead about a week and a half, you're going to be in Aspen. And that's something completely different as well. The Aspen Music Festival is one of the great, you know, traditions of, of uh, classical music. And um, I performed there a few times before, and I'm glad to be to going back this year with my Appalachian Waltz Trio. I have a, a, a couple of new members, and they're fantastic. Mike Block on cello and Rebecca Albers on viola. And they're both Juilliard graduates um, recently. They're playing the heck out of this music that I've uh, written, and um, I'm really excited about um, the, the the idea that a lot of young people, just a couple years younger than these folks that are playing with me, will be seeing them play in this setting and playing at the very top of the ability. And um, so that's going to be very exciting for me because uh, the Aspen Festival draws some of the best talented, you know, string players mm-hmm. all over the world. And um, I always have a good time there. But to bring this music there, and also Edgar Meyer and uh, will be in the audience that night. And he, of course, he helped me usher the Appalachian Waltz music in yeah. in the first place with Yo-Yo Ma. Mm-hmm. So this is sort of like the second generation. I'm going to have Edgar come up and play an improvisation with me during the show as a surprise. Um, but the um, this is the second generation of the Appalachian Waltz music, you know. So it's so what evolved with you is still evolving with younger people. Exactly. And um, I think that's the biggest story, you know. I mean, it's it just didn't start and end with Yo-Yo and and and, and us. Yeah. It um, it was introduced by us, 
and I think that's uh, that's the real key key point. What a great legacy too, just to be a little part of that as it, as it moves along. Mm-hmm. And now jipping ahead a couple of weeks to what I'm most familiar with is the Strawberry Music Festival. When you've been there, I actually was printing out because you know you've been there several times with a lot of people. And um, what are you bringing to Strawberry this at the end of this month? I'm um, very happy to return to Strawberry with a, a wonderful setting that reflects my own fiddle camps and string conferences. What I've done is I've basically, basically taking, taken a night at our conference, which showcases different teachers, and, and I'll be putting it on the stage um, in concert. And uh, Strawberry Festival uh, will host us um, as a, one of the headlining acts there this weekend. You're closing the festival. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. We're going to have some great jams. Some of these uh, young players that are my faculty members are the best young players on the violin right mm-hmm. now. And, um, and different styles will be uh, featured. Um, I've, I've, you know, I've, I've got the best jazz players, the best bluegrass, the best Texas fiddlers, um, national champions. I've got a child prodigy on the on the, on the jazz cello. I've got um, a, the, you know the, the greatest you know Celtic um, conceptualist fiddler you know out there. And um, it's just going to be, you know, if for all the people that have heard about my fiddle camps mm-hmm. um, but um, have not been able to attend, it's like a microcosm, one night out of the camp put on stage at Strawberry Festival. Yeah, and talking about a melting pot, that's a night of American music. It's everything in, in one performance. Exactly. And these are some of the young players that have, you know, followed me up. You know, they, they started, most of them came to my camp in their teens mm-hmm. as students. And they've graduated into, you know, being faculty members and really leading this generation of string players. Um, they've got That's great incredible. recordings, and and we have a ball, and we're you know very close knit uh, bunch, and um, and I'm very proud of them. That's going to be a great evening. Um, I wanted to ask you something as a as a player and also as a composer and as somebody who's sort of. You know, teaching and educating and putting these people together is. What's it like going from all these different styles, all these different genres, from classical to the chamber music you're doing at in Aspen to going to Celtic and then back to Americana and folk and bluegrass? Are the players different? Is the rehearsal different? What are some of the similarities and differences? It's just kind of a wide open question, I'm sure. I'm bringing along my own sensibility with it. I mean, I'm kind of creating my own environment. Um, it's not like it looks on paper where I, you know, I have to put on a cowboy hat and boots and go into a, you know, a country bar to play country music and then I have to like somehow get a banjo and go over to a bluegrass festival and then, and then, then I've got to get like a tuxedo and go over and play with the chamber music people. It's not that at all. What I've tried to do was just be myself all the way through the journey. And what I, what I want to try to do is have people gravitate towards me, um, not always trying to jump over the fence into mm-hmm. someone's backyard and poach. I mean, I, I'd rather create the environment from a creative standpoint mm-hmm. and have people come closer to me. And that's what I'm trying to do with all these all these things, you know. Mar- like Marin Alsip, for instance. Here at the Cabrillo Music Festival. Yeah, yeah, one of the great conductors in the world now. Um, but for the last 20 years, I've been, you know, kind of, bringing her along with my style of composition and mm-hmm. fiddle playing and things like that. And now look how it's paying off. You know, I mean, she's one of my best friends in the, yeah. in the music industry. 
Um, we've done several projects together. So she, you know, she can look at what I'm doing. She can take a look at my new project, and she gets it. You know, she understands how it's working. Um, so it moves along a lot quicker. Exactly. So as I go, it becomes easier, and these kinds of transformations take place um, in, 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 in detail much more quickly. Um, so, you know, so my environments, you know, even though it sounds like, oh, gee, Cabrillo is way different from Strawberry, which is way different from my fiddle camp, which is way different from Aspen, I don't know. I, I look at it as a little collection, like a mm-hmm. potpourri of, of festivals. It's all, it's all stuff you do. Yeah, and I'll run into very like-minded people there. I'll mm-hmm. have fans there that will would probably actually just like to show up at any of these places, mm-hmm. you know, and see me there. Yeah. So... That's nice. I kind of look, I always look, my secret to my musical and artistic success, if, if there is any, is that, <laughs> if, uh, is that I look for the common denominators and I try to find uh, the, the thread that, that holds things together. And I don't really dwell on why things are different um, that much. I, I don't get a lot of satisfaction or inspiration out of that, actually. That's so, a good point. So I just kind of just What see, draws you to it? Yeah. Let's work with that. Yeah. Let's, how, let's see how things relate. Yeah. Very good. Well, we'll see you here tomorrow night, and then we'll see you at Strawberry in a few weeks, and I really appreciate your time. Great. Thank you so much. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Well, there you have it. Composer, fiddle player, violinist, and teacher Mark O'Connor. The song you're hearing behind me now is my own song, Jack of All Trades, and I think if anybody fits the description Jack of All Trades, it's probably Mark O'Connor. Um, after the interview, he gave me a DVD with him doing some of his concertos live, as well as a new CD called Fiddle Camp, Mark O'Connor and Guests, which is a collection of performances by him and his teachers at Fiddle Camps from the last several years. And then I handed Mark a CD with a mule on the cover, but you, you give away what you have. Two things Mark said really stuck with me. One was the idea of American music being about the journey west and the yearning to travel and how you know tunes fiddle tunes songs from the old country hadn't changed for you know hundreds and hundreds of years and as they came to America they were varied and changed from literally hollow to hollow um, I was thinking of you know on a more contemporary note something like Albert Brumley's gospel song I Ain't Got No Home and how Woody Guthrie transformed that into This Land Is Your Land so songs continue to evolve another thing I liked that he said was when I asked him about the the differences between doing classical and chamber and Celtic and bluegrass and everything from the Americana sort of ilk. And Mark said he doesn't really look at the differences, he looks at the similarities. And I got thinking about what I've been doing lately. I'm not spending as much time writing, but I'm, you know, finding shows for the band to play and maintaining a website and learning how that end of it works. And with these podcasts, now I'm documenting my own songs, plus I'm getting a chance to talk with some very, very interesting and cool people. I mean, when you get a chance to sit and discuss music with Mark O'Connor, you know, I can't really complain. (laughs) And all of this really just adds to my own musical education, so life is good, no legitimate complaints. So again, I recommend you go to my website and check out all these links from Mark O'Connor. There are links to the Cabrillo Contemporary Music Festival, uh, the Aspen Music Festival, which is coming up in about a week, and the Strawberry Music Festival, as well as links to the CD Strength in Numbers, and Appalachian Journey, and this one you're listening to now, which is called Fiddle Camp, Mark O'Connor and Guests. The song playing now is um, a live version of Sally Gooden with Mark O'Connor playing the fiddle. 
Also, besides the Mark O'Connor links on my site, you'll find links to past podcasts with notes to go with those, as well as links to my own CD, Spotted Mule and Other Tales, which is sort of an Americana, not quite folk, not quite bluegrass mix of story songs. So if you're there, have a look around and spend some time. There's a lot of video and audio and things for you to click on and listen to. I think I'll forgo my usual um, closing theme music and just let this song play out so you can hear Mark as the show closes. And um, this was Songs and Stories number 11. Thanks for listening. If you have any comments about this podcast, you can leave a comment on my webpage using the Add Comment button or send me an email, michael at michaelgaither.com.